All right. Hey, how are you? Uh, the aforementioned notebooks are here. Now, uh, I realize the sovereignty of God in all of this because, you know, they didn't make it last week when they were supposed to be here, uh, but you'll notice they're made out of recycled material, and today is Earth Day. So, obviously, God had his hand on the entire, uh, the entire thing all along. Um, so, listen, last week, we started a series. We're going to walk through the entire Gospel of John, and in one week, we made it through two verses. Uh, really, it's like one sentence and then another sentence is like four words long. So we got to pick up the pace a little bit going forward. Um, I think we can agree on that. So we'll try and march along just a little bit faster. Um, but, but do me a favor. Make sure you have a hold of this guy right here. Uh, this notebook is, um, is going to be your traveling companion through John's gospel. Um, I think this little recycled notebook that has nothing written in it yet um, will add value to your life. If you, uh, if you will allow it to do that, actually the Word of God will, uh, and this will be your, uh, will be your partner. Um, so rather than give you, you know, an, an independent card each week for you to fill in some blanks or put your gum in, uh, we decided to uh, try to make a way for us to just chronicle our journey through John's gospel. And we talked last week about John's relationship to Jesus, and uh, he had a unique relationship uh, with Jesus, his closest friend. Consider the fact, uh, I mentioned this last week, when Jesus is on the cross, his mom is there, Mary is there, and he turns to someone, he turns to John specifically, not one of his siblings, he turns to John and says, John, I want you to take care of my mother for me. They must have been pretty close. That's a unique, that's a unique relationship for them to have. Um, so I'm going to give you some ideas, Pastor Rick will give you some ideas about what you might want to write down. There might be some things on the screen. Uh, my hope is that God will also speak some things maybe uniquely to you as we go through uh, the Gospel of John, and you can document those as we go. Uh, at the end of it all, this will chronicle our journey and hopefully help us know Jesus a little bit more uh, at the end. So just uh, as your pastor, as someone who just who cares about your well-being and the spiritual well-being of your family, I'm asking you to take that thing as seriously as you possibly can. All right. So let's just brush up against last week, since you didn't get to write in your notebook, and it would just be really a bummer to not have, you know, chapter 1, verse 1 in your notebook. At the beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, this is what he says. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, I love this about John because he's, he's the last living first-generation disciple at this point. Uh, John's gospel is believed to have been written between about 85 and 90 AD. Um, so he's like on the clock. I mean, life expectancy at this time is, is maybe like 45 years, kind of around there. So he's actually been on the clock for decades now. Uh, he is not even close to being a young man by their standards. So he doesn't mess around with the details. You know, you read like some of the letters in the New Testament, and he's like, greetings, salutations, peace be with you. John's like, nope, boom. He goes right to who Jesus is. So I love his, I love his style. Uh, but here's, some of the thing, here's something you got to know about chapter 1, verse 1. John's gospel was originally written in Greek. That was, that was the common language of the day. Uh, the Roman Empire basically ruled the known world at this point. Uh, there really hasn't been... Uh, anything in human history quite like the Roman Empire that was as vast and lasted as long uh, as the Roman Empire. And the Greeks 
profoundly impacted the Roman Empire. Uh, we really see it in terms of like their philosophy, their theology. Of course, Greek was the common language of their, uh, of their day. And uh, back before there was some of the really well-known Greek philosophers like Plato, Socrates, or Socrates, if you remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I wasn't sure I should say that out loud, but I, I know there's a couple of you that might remember that. Um, uh, so, you know, Plato, of course, if you, went, if you went and took a philosophy class at a university today, like, he would be the man still to this day. Uh, well, before them, there was a guy who you might consider to be kind of the father of Greek philosophy named Heraclitus. Heraclitus died about 475 years before Jesus was born, roughly, uh, 472, if my math is correct. Um, but he was really kind of the father of uh, what became Greek philosophy and then spilled over into Roman philosophy. And he gave birth to uh, the concept behind the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. And, uh, and this is what he said about it. He said, all, all entities came to be in accordance with this logos. In other words, everything that exists, uh, exists because the logos decided it would exist. Uh, everything that happens falls in line with the will of the logos. Nothing exists or happens outside of the will of the logos is essentially what he said. So let me just give you like a working definition. Uh, this is just from Britannica. It's not uh, necessarily like a, uh, a biblical definition. Uh, Britannica says that log defines logos this way: the divine reason, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. In other words, it's the meaning behind everything. The divine reason, the divine plan behind everything. Some of the synonyms we might use today would be like reason uh, or the plan or Oddly enough, in many ancient texts translated into English, the word logos is translated word. So you can see why it's sort of a difficult translation into English, because it's, it's not just the reason or the plan or the word, but it's the divine reason in all of the universe behind everything that exists. But what is John saying? He's saying, Jesus is the logos. That's the Greek word. So if you wondered last week, you know, we, our big idea was uh, that Jesus is God. That's what John's saying. So if you wondered, like, well, is he really saying that Jesus is God? Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. Jesus is God. So on your John journal, I'll just prime the pump for you, get you going. Uh, you might want to write down something like this. John 1.1 1, 1 equals Jesus is God. Pretty much the only way he could have been more explicit is if he would have just said, Jesus is God. The word word is the logos. It's something so much more vast than just the way we use it in kind of 21st century vernacular. So when you understand the logos, it makes complete sense what John says in the next verse, verse 3. See that? We're already moving on. <laughs> verse 3 says, through him, Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Well, of course, because he's the divine reason behind all of the cosmos ordering it and giving it its form and its meaning. That's who John says Jesus is. Okay, so right up front, the most important thing he wants to get to is the idea that Jesus is God. That principle will shape all of your thinking, right? Because if you, uh, if you went to a variety of places, I mean, if you went down to Kingdom Hall, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, uh, Jesus is actually a created being. He's an angel. Uh, or if you went to a Mormon ward, they would say, 
Jesus is actually a created being. He's a man who became a god. Um, or, you know, various forms, streams of Hindu would say, well, he's actually a created being, a man who achieved a higher level of consciousness. But John says something completely different than all of those. He says, no, no, he was there at the beginning. He, he was with God, but he was God. Jesus is God. Verse 4, he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, unfortunately, almost everyone in the New Testament is named John. This is John the Baptist, uh, or JTB, the original Christian hipster, as I like to refer to him. He came as a witness, John the Baptist, to testify concerning that light so that through Jesus all might believe. John the Baptist himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I almost kind of feel like there's just a dare, like see if you can say light one more time in one paragraph. Uh, kind of a, a run-on sentence, but, but let's just break that down just a little bit. Who's the source of life? In him was life. Where, where did it come from? Where's John saying life came from? He's saying the Logos, Jesus, from God. This is a really fundamental difference between what we could say is a Christian worldview and a non-theistic worldview. Um, there's, there's really just kind of a flip-flopping of the elements. John says, life came first. In other words, Christians believe life existed, God, the Logos, from eternity past. And that life gave rise to everything that exists in the universe. All of the, the energy, the matter, all of the things that the world is made out of, human life, my friend Riley here, that all came from life. Life came first. That's a Christian worldview. A non-theistic worldview or an atheistic worldview would say just the opposite. All of the matter and energy existed first. Um, we, don't, we don't know about original causation, but it existed first for some measure of time into the past. And then somehow with the slow passage of time, it sort of gave rise to the complexities of interdependent biological systems. Uh, those are... Those are two totally polar opposite belief systems. Which one came first? But John says, life came first. The logos, he says, was there at the beginning when uh, the bios, physical creation happened, matter, energy, uh, physical life. But he was also there uh, at the other Greek word we see for life, the zoe, life. He was there at the creation of the purpose of life, the meaning behind life. So John's painting this really robust picture of who Jesus is, and it sounds like maybe knowing Jesus might be the catalyst to some pretty good things in our lives, if Jesus is really all of these things that John says. But what kind of cracks me up, uh, it's kind of like um, John kind of has this little bit of a curmudgeon thing going, because he doesn't really waste any time just like offending our sensibilities as Americans, uh, like Right off the bat, he creates this binary distinction, right? Like we like sameness, right? Uh, he, he says, you know, there's light and there's dark, but we don't really like the idea of, you know, right and wrong, black and white, male, female. We, we're kind of rejecting the idea of binary thinking as a society. But John doesn't think that way, apparently, because he's not crazy. Um, he doesn't live in an insane world yet, apparently. Um, but, you know, as you read through the Bible... There's always a distinction between light and darkness. 
And, you know, you don't even need an explanation of it. No one does. It's good and evil, right and wrong, right? This pretty obvious distinction, uh, true and false, light and dark. It's the same kind of contrast. And John says there is a light, and it's Jesus. There is a light, and it's Jesus, which kind of leads to his second offense, which is that he's creating this establishment of an objective truth. There's a, there's a permanent truth. Uh, so it turns out we're like four sentences into John's gospel, and Jesus is already really controversial, uh, which is kind of exciting. I want to hang around and see what happens. Uh, maybe there will be a mob. Turns out there will, but that's many weeks away. Uh, so in spite of all that, which I find phenomenally interesting, and I can see by the looks on your faces that you do too, I don't think any of that is actually really where John is, is going. I, I think he has a big idea in mind. So let me just point out another verse that's in John 5, verse 24. That's down the road. We'll get to there eventually. But uh, John quotes Jesus right here. And Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. By believing that Jesus is the Son of God come into the world to pay for your sin and mine, you can pass over from death to life. Like the eternal spiritual kind, from darkness to light. He goes on to make this point expressly clear in ways that would be super offensive if he said them today. Uh, in one of his other letters, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, he says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Now, I think that's pretty clear, right? Yes to Jesus equals life. No to Jesus equals death. I don't think he could have been a lot more uh, explicit than that. Uh, but this is where it gets kind of sticky for, for a lot of us. Um, if you paid any attention during our last election cycle, there were a lot of like, really emphatic statements coming from every direction. And what happens when somebody makes an emphatic statement? The people who already agreed with you, they get really excited. The people who didn't already agree with you, they get really angry. But no one like, crosses over just because you said it really emphatically. If you notice that it doesn't really seem to change anyone's mind, like, you know, no one's ever put a really, like, abrasive, polarizing bumper sticker on their car and had people like, thank you for pointing that out to me. That doesn't ever happen. So John's kind of polarizing, right? Yes to Jesus equals life. No to Jesus equals death. So uh, here's just a couple things that might be helpful to consider when we're deciding how to feel about those emphatic statements. Uh, if you think about the idea of truth... Have you noticed that truth doesn't really care about your consent? Truth is not dependent on whether or not I like it. It's not dependent on whether or not I believe it. Like, it doesn't matter how passionately I hate music stands. This is still a music stand. It's not going to change. That wall doesn't care if I believe that it's there. It's still a wall. It's still there. That's, that's how truth works. One of the great historical examples uh, that has puzzled me for for years. Um, Charles Darwin, father of evolution, uh, of course, he wrote his most famous work, The Origin of Species, where he kind of spelled out his theory. Uh, but he also wrote an autobiography. And in it, he said one of just something that just sort of bends my mind that such an intellectual giant would, would follow this line of thinking. He said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you can Google search it, it's easy to find. He, he said, 
in essence, I don't believe the Bible because if it's true, then a lot of people I love are in hell. That's, that's what he said. Now, I can understand why that might make him not like the Bible, but that doesn't really flow logically because truth doesn't really care if I like it or I don't like it or if I believe it or I don't believe it. Truth just is. So when it comes to John's statement where he says yes to Jesus equals life and no to Jesus equals death, it's not important that I like it. It's important that I consider it is my point. The second thing I'll just point out is that he says in Christ we pass from death to life. That's not the same thing as passing from bad to good. Uh, we have there's sort of a culture idea that cultural idea that with Jesus uh, I do good stuff. Without Jesus I do bad stuff. Okay, how many of you have done anything bad since you said yes to Jesus? Okay, all right. Yeah, I know, not Brandon, but um, but that's because he's just said yes to Jesus, like like just now. <laughs> he hasn't had time. Um, okay. We all know that when we say yes to Jesus, we don't immediately stop doing everything that we know we shouldn't do and start doing everything we know we should do. Now, understanding who we are in Christ will definitely have implications for our behaviors, yes, but after we say yes to Jesus, we still do things that we know we shouldn't, and we still neglect things that we know we should do. That's, that's a reality uh, for all of us. But here's the deal. All of us, uh, I'm so sorry to burst your bubble if you're a millennial, but all of us are slowly rolling toward the last day of our life. Like, that's happening. Um, that's an eventuality for all of us. Hopefully, that's a really long ways away for all of us, uh, but it's an eventuality. Um, and if John's right, that day's going to look a lot different for people who say yes to Jesus. If, if he's right, that day's going to look a lot different for people who receive Christ. And it makes sense because if he's right, in Jesus is life. One of the things that I, I love that Jesus says uh, later on in John's gospel, he says, um, I'll never lose any of the ones that my father gives to me. Because, you know, if your spiritual journey is like mine, I, I kind of do some of this. Like, I know, I'm not good at, like, you know, heading straight toward the goal, pressing on toward the prize. Paul paints that picture, and it just makes you want to do important stuff. But I take the long route, you know what I mean? Sometimes I, I've even gotten, like, completely off the path. But guess what? Jesus' grip is a lot stronger than mine. And he paid for all of my sins before I ever committed any of them. And uh, so I'm just super, super thankful that it's dependent on him, not on me. Because in Christ, we don't move from bad to good. Uh, we're still going to screw up. We move from death to life. So it's all good news, right? Everything's all good because all we have to do is believe in Jesus and we'll have life. But Paul describes a problem, and it affects all of us. In the next verse, verse 10, he says, Jesus, or the Lagos, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to that which was his own. Who is that? Specifically, he's talking about the Jews. Uh, specifically, uh, John is identifying the Jewish people. That's Jesus' own people. Uh, so that's, that's definitely who he's talking about. What if I said he was talking about everyone? Uh, that's not what John... John's saying specifically the Jews. Um, but, but wouldn't everyone apply to? Because if all things were made through him, doesn't it all belong to him? I mean, I think you could say, you could say that too and still be, still be right. He went to his own, but there's a problem. 
they don't receive him. The true light came into the world, but all kinds of people either don't recognize him or they don't receive him. That's, that's a reality. So uh, I just want to address that, that reality, and, um, and we'll, uh, we'll read just a couple more verses. Uh, imagine this situation with me, okay? Let's just imagine that you and I are like, we're in a room, and it's pitch black. Like in the basement at night, it's totally dark. You can't see anything. And I said to you, hey, there's a light switch on the wall behind you. Turn around and just you know, flip that thing on so that you know, the light will come on, and we'll, we'll be able to see. Well, I think we all know that uh, if you did that, if you flipped on the switch and the light came on, it would illuminate our surroundings and then we'd be able to see. Like that would be sort of the natural flow of that situation. But what if we're in that same situation and I said, hey, turn around and turn on that light switch so that we can see. And you said, eh, why don't you show me the light first so that I know I'll actually be able to see and then I'll turn around and flip on the light switch. Well, well that would be sort of a ridiculous notion, right? That, that wouldn't work. None of us would, would think that. That light switch is faith. That is the catalyst that we're going to see all the way through scriptures. And John's going to address that here in the last verse in just a second. Faith is the catalyst by which we we come into relationship with Christ. The idea of being able to see apart from faith uh, is impossible to reconcile biblically. I wish that wasn't the case um, because I'm a very matter-of-fact person. I like linear thinking. Show me and then I'll decide if I believe you or not. But what we see in the Bible is that faith is a necessary, required ingredient. Uh, faith is that catalyst. And the truth is, there's all kinds of reasons why people don't see Jesus. Uh, why he came to his own, but they didn't recognize him. Or why they don't receive him. Maybe, like a lot of people in our society, uh, they're just going through life. They got their head down, chasing the dream waiting for someday, and they woke up and it had passed them by. Life had kind of slipped through their fingers. That happens a lot. That's a pretty common scenario. Or maybe they didn't recognize Jesus because somebody in their life painted a really faulty picture of Jesus, and so they didn't, they didn't recognize him. Or maybe they didn't, they didn't receive him because uh, they were just more willing to bank on their own intellectual capacities. Maybe that's what happened. That's, that's common. Or maybe they didn't receive him because the truth is we live in this very self-saturated, self-centered culture. That's, that's a reality. It's part of having so much as a society. And sometimes it's just easier to believe the absurd than it is to deal with inconvenient truths. Maybe that's a scenario for someone. I think one of the greatest dangers we face, Pastor Rick mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, is cynicism. Uh, it's, it's very widespread. Uh, I think skepticism is okay, but the line between that and cynicism is blurry because a skeptic will ask honest questions and see what the answer is, but a cynic is looking for a way to discredit and to disprove and to distrust. Uh, it gets to be, it's a pretty easy line to cross, and sometimes we slip into that category. I know I do. I think that's a big danger, but, but John's going to address what our biggest need in this situation is. And so I just want to, uh, I want to finish up with the last two verses, John 1, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
What's this born of God? What, is, what does that mean? He's speaking again about passing from death to life, right? Being born certainly doesn't imply death. It's about new life. In John 3, there's a conversation that we'll see later on. Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Uh, you might remember this conversation with Nicodemus. I, I can just imagine his eyes being really huge when Jesus says, listen, unless you're born again, I almost did this like as a <laughs> hand gesture. <laughs> I held back there, but, <laughs> but you can imagine how Nicodemus felt. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't enter into it. Uh, I have to imagine the wheels started turning pretty fast for Nicodemus at that point. Because he says, well, what do you mean? Like, can you re-enter your mother's womb? And, and, well, no. Yeah. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Unless you're spiritually born again, you can't, you can't see it. So who gets to pass from death to life? Who gets to see and understand and participate in the kingdom? To all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's the faith switch. That's what, that's what Jesus is calling us to. It's what John is calling us to right out of the gate. So this is what I want to do. I want to ask you, right where you are, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, and I just want to give you an opportunity uh, before we close down to just uh, respond, just internally uh, process in one of a couple of ways. Uh, one would be to receive that life, to receive the right to be called a child of God. How do, we, how do we get that? To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. It really is that simple, crossing from death to life by faith. It, it really is that simple. Now, I know that a lot of you have, have made that decision. I, I want to give you the opportunity to receive assurance of salvation, a reminder that you are his and he is yours, come what may. Whatever, whatever comes today, whatever comes tomorrow, whatever ups and downs you experience, however many times you get off the path and he, he woos you back, uh, come what may, at the end of all things, Christ has paid the bill for you and you are secure in his love and grace. I want to give you the opportunity to just receive that, just be assured of that this morning. Here's what we know from John's words. We know that Jesus is the true light, the logos who holds the purpose behind our lives, and that we can receive him through faith by believing that he is God come into the world to give us eternal life. And I just want I just want each one of us to just have a moment, just internally where you are. I'm not going to ask you to respond to me at all, but just to receive that, just to affirm that in your own heart, in your own mind, uh, maybe even for the first time or like it was the first time, to just let gratitude well up that, that Jesus came, God saw our, saw our condition, and he didn't leave us to it, that he came into the world, and he lived the life we couldn't, and he walked down the road to the cross. He paid for our sin, and then he went a step farther and defeated death on your behalf. Lord, I'm so grateful for that, God. I thank you for the goodness and the kindness and the mercy that you have shown us. God, I pray you would help us to walk as those who are secure in their future, Lord. I pray you would help us to lean into you and to trust in you more than ever.
pray you'd reveal yourself to us, that we would know you better as we go through our series in John. Pray you'd help us to love each other well. In Jesus' name, amen.